0: Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit SozoSMTX.com. How are we doing tonight? You guys good? All right, I can't see faces, I can see masks, but I love the whole masks thing. Actually, I don't love the mask thing, but I do love that it's like another way to express yourself, you know? So I see like some camouflage mask. I see some like blue mask. I see designs on masks. So anyways, it's good to be with you guys. Like Lauren said, my name is Dustin and I serve on staff here as our college pastor. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, um, that's who I am. And I'm excited for tonight. How many of you guys have been enjoying this whole living on the right side of the cross series? Anyone been enjoying that? Come on, it's been really awesome. There we go. I love it. This is what I believe. I think this sermon series could change our lives if we grasp it. And I really believe that there is something that is so drastically different in new covenant living than in old covenant living. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in uh, some kind of religious settings that it seemed to be that it was just like an old covenant system with a little bit of new covenant sprinkled on the top. But what I believe God is doing is that he's actually dismantling those old covenant ways of thinking. And he's showing us that the living on the right side of the cross is actually so much better. Hebrew says this, it says that this new covenant is based on better promises. It's a better covenant. So we've heard messages about how we're actually not punishable. That's good news, that we cannot be punished, that God is not trying to punish you, but he's trying to redeem you, that he's trying to restore you. We've heard about uh, what righteousness on the right side of the cross looks like and all these different messages. And I, I wanna talk to us tonight about everyone's favorite topic. You guys ready for this? I'm going to talk tonight about vulnerability on the right side of the cross. How many of you guys love vulnerability? Yeah. There we go. I saw like three hands go up. That's, that's kind of how I feel about vulnerability. Like vulnerability is not easy. Vulnerability is not fun. But I want to talk to us tonight about vulnerability on the right side of the cross. Because I believe that in order for us to be all that God has called us to be and created us to be, we have to be a vulnerable people. We will never become who God has called us to be unless we embrace radical vulnerability. And so I want to talk about vulnerability on the right side of the cross. And I want to share, just as we jump in, a little bit of my story, because I'm kind of like the people in the room that didn't raise their hand. I don't love vulnerability. It doesn't come natural to me. My most natural tendency in the midst of mess and dysfunction is to run and hide, and I don't really know anyone who, who, who gets themselves into a mess and just like wants to run into the light and share their mess with everyone else. Our tendency is to hide. But what I've found in the new covenant is that vulnerability is actually the safest place to be. And so I want to share a little bit of my story. Um, I uh, have, have kind of been on a journey for the past couple of years of embracing a new level of vulnerability. And uh, how many of you guys know that life is messy? Right, life is a little bit messy. Um, and for me, one of the one of the main things in my life that was messy is is family. For honest, family is messy. Right? Sometimes I think about our parents, and I'm just like, man grace to them, right? They're just doing their best. And sometimes we find ourselves in these environments that aren't uh, the most healthy environments. And for me, um, I grew up in a family where from a young age, uh, both as, as I think some of, of who I was, but also through parenting styles and different things like that, that I actually embraced uh, this idea that I have to perform in order to be loved. Anyone been there before? That you feel like just... You're not loved unless you're doing something for someone. And so family of origin is something that I feel like God has taken me on a journey to understand, and I think that we would be ignorant to not acknowledge the fact that we're actually shaped by our past, that there are things that happen in our lives that actually shape us. Now, I do believe that Jesus can step in and change everything, but we first have to acknowledge that we are a product of what's happened to us And as I began to journey over the past couple years, I began to realize that from a young age, I had this thing of performance drilled into my head. And so I believed that if I couldn't perform good enough, that you were going to reject me, that I wasn't loved unless I was good enough. And that's not just before Jesus, but it actually began to manifest more and more after I started following Jesus. So as I started following Jesus, I would find myself in these situations where I really loved God, but I was more concerned with what people thought about me than what God thought about me. So I found myself on this hamster wheel of religion, this hamster wheel of performance, constantly trying to do things to receive acceptance from other people. And what that led to later in my life is it led to me becoming a very good pretender. Anyone else been there? Where you just act as if everything's okay while on the inside, everything is not okay. Everything is falling apart. And so I became what a lot of people around me considered what a Superman, because as I began to share some of the stuff that was actually going on on the inside of me, the pain, the dysfunction, the mess that was inside of me, people were shocked and they were like, we thought that you were perfect. And I had to admit, no, I just got really, really good at pretending. And I'm not talking, you know, some people in the room may be like, okay, that's a little deep, um, just right off the beginning. But the reality is, is we all have a tendency to try to craft masks. We all have a tendency to try to become something that's going to be accepted from other people. We have a tendency to try to hide parts of our lives that we don't think that other people are going to receive very well. And what happens is, is over time as we do this, we begin to find ourselves in this place of hiding and pain and dysfunction and we craft these masks to make it look really good. And so what I did is I learned to cope with this dysfunction until I couldn't anymore. And it finally caught up to me. And I, you could ask Joel, had a pretty intense breakdown a few years ago. Most of you guys know I've been running with Sozo from the beginning about two years ago. Um, some stuff just started happening inside of me. And ultimately, uh, I took a break from ministry. I took a step back and I wanted to focus Joel and myself and the senior leaders like you focus on getting whole, and it was one of the most incredible, not one of the, it was the most incredible year of my life, and this is what I learned, that the hardest seasons of life always produce the, the sweetest fruit, and sometimes we try to run from the hard things, but it's in the times of getting real, it's in the times of getting honest before God that he begins to do something in our lives and build something in our lives that can't be shaken. And so this season I went through was just a season of radical transformation. And I started going through counseling and uh, my counselor, God bless this man, spirit-filled Christian guy, incredible. I am so thankful for this man. I believe in counseling. I believe that you need to sit and talk with someone. We need to get real with people. And my counselor was awesome, loved Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. And um, I was thinking as I was preparing this of how impactful my counselor was on my life, but it didn't look anything like I thought it was gonna look like. I expected to go into these counseling sessions and he was gonna give me a lot of advice of how to fix my life or I was just gonna share with him my problems and he was gonna fix me. So I would tell him my mess and I'd be like, okay, what's the trick? How do I I get over this, right? But what I realized is as I sat down and began to unpack my story from when I was a kid all the way up into where I found myself at that moment, he didn't have tips, he didn't have tricks, he didn't have fix it moments for me but what he did do is he did listen. And I can remember one of the most transformative moments in counseling as I was sharing my story, the vulnerable places of my story, the secret places of my life. I looked across from my counselor and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, wow, Dustin, that's a lot, man. Wow, that is so, I'm so sorry that this has been your experience. And he wept with me. And I began to realize in that moment that the transforming power is not in our tips and tricks, but it's to be seen, right? Have you ever felt seen by someone? Have you ever had someone look you in the eyes and be like, I see you. I understand what you're going through. I wanna talk to you tonight about the subject that we serve the God who sees. He sees everything and there is nothing that we can hide from him. So I want to turn with you in Hebrews chapter 4 if you have your Bibles go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 13 through 16. Then we're going to pray and jump in. It should be up on the screen for you. Hebrews chapter 4 verses four, 13 through 16 it should read like this. It says, "And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account." Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And the verse 16 says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I wanna pray for us real quick. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come into this place, God. God, we make the declaration tonight that vulnerability is safe, that honesty is safe, that when we're exposed and naked in the eyes of God, that it's actually safe. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to just search our hearts, Lord. Do a deep work in us, Lord. We want to be all that you've created us to be. And so we just say, come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I um, grew up... In a small town in Southeast Texas, anyone been to Southeast Texas? Anyone like stumbled upon Southeast Texas? I feel like that's how most people end up in Southeast Texas. But I grew up in this small town called Kirbyville. Um, About 2,085 people lived there when I graduate. Um, That's not 20,000. That's 2,085 people. So small country town in the middle of nowhere. Um, I tell people all the time that I used to be redneck, um, but then God delivered me. Um, I'm just kidding. I still have red. You can ask Jared. I'm still a little bit redneck. I like country music and my blue jeans and boots. Sometimes you wouldn't know it from today, but so I grew up in, in, in Kirbyville, Texas, and I could remember when I was a kid, I think like the second or third grade, we would go to recess every day and I loved recess. Like recess and lunch were the two things that I lived for, amen? You could tell, right? So recess was something I looked forward to every day and we would go to, to the playground and we would run around and it would be amazing. And I could remember as we would play, there were these things that were kind of a nuisance to us on the playground, and there were other second grade girls that called themselves the kissy girls. You guys have those at your school when you were a kid? No, no one knows what I'm talking about. Okay, these girls would like run around and try to like get you and kiss you on the cheek and stuff like that. And so the guys would just run, and this was the game we played every day. Maybe it's just a country thing, I don't know. Anyways... So we would play and they would like chase you around. And I can remember as a kid, we would just run and run and run like the whole... Recess time, And there was this thing called the big red house on our playground, it was huge. It was right there in the middle of our playground and it had a platform that was like big enough to run around on and it was about eight, I would say, yeah, about twice this tall off the ground. And so what we would do is, is we would run up to the big red house and we would hide there and we would sit on the edge and dangle our legs off the edge and we would watch as the girls would run up the stairs. At the last minute, we would jump off of the big red house and take off running and they would be mad and we would wince. So I'm sitting on the edge of the thing and I'm waiting and I'm watching them run around and then some of them run up the steps and right before they're about to get to me, I do my thing and I jump off of the big red house. But what happened this day is my Wrangler blue jean shorts, come on somebody, got stuck to the nail on the side of the big red house and I actually ripped my entire pants like all the way down and I fell and I was hanging by a nail off the side of the big red house. Super embarrassing. So I'm hanging and the teachers come running like full speed over and they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And they grab me off and they set me down and all of the girls are circled around and they're laughing like hysterically. And I turn around and realize that it was not just my shorts that ripped, but my undies had ripped too. So I'm like completely exposed and people are watching what's going on. And one of my teachers took her like home and garden magazine and like covered me up and walked with me to the nurse's office so I could call my mom and get some new shorts. But as you can imagine, it was incredibly embarrassing, right? It was shameful, you might say. And this is what I've realized about life is that when we get exposed, whether it be physically in my case or relationally or emotionally When we get exposed, shame is always shortly following. That shame is the byproduct. When we get exposed, shame always follows us. Look again at verse 13, it says this. It says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So how can we be naked and exposed in the eyes of God if he's supposed to be the one that removes shame, right? How is it possible to be fully naked, fully vulnerable, fully exposed in the eyes of God if he's the one that removes our shame? Another place in the scripture, it talks about being naked. It talks about being exposed. It's in Genesis chapter two and verse 25. It says that Adam and Eve were in the garden and they felt no shame. Adam and Eve were completely naked and in the garden and they felt no shame. So the garden actually becomes our place, the place that we live from. How many know that Jesus didn't just come to pay for our sin, he came to restore to us everything that Adam forfeited in the garden, Amen? amen? So the garden becomes the place we live again. So how did Adam and Eve live naked and exposed yet without shame? I believe it was because they were more God conscious than they were sin conscious. I believe it was because their eyes weren't on themselves, their eyes were focused on him. And when humanity is in perfect relationship with God, there is no room for shame. And so Adam and Eve were naked in the garden. They were in perfect communion. They were more God-conscious than self-conscious. Listen, they were safe even though they were exposed. They were safe even though the most vulnerable parts of them were exposed in the eyes of God. Look at Genesis chapter 3. We're gonna look at verses six through eleven. It says this. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband. Thanks a lot, right? Just joking. (laughs) Who was with her and he ate it. They're in this together. And it says, Then the eyes of both of them were open. Listen, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Where are you? Those three words. I believe that how you hear those three words determine how you see God. Do you hear them as an angry father saying, where are you? Or do you hear them from the voice of a loving father in pursuit, actually in pursuit of his of his kids, How we hear those words, where are you, actually determines how we see God. That one's free. Verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? This is what sin does. Sin takes our eyes off of him and puts our eyes on ourself. Sin takes us from beholding him, the very source of life, and turns our eyes on to ourselves. So they begin to ask the question, oh no, we're naked. But haven't they always been naked? They've been naked from the beginning. So they ask, oh, we're naked And God's like, you've always been naked. And so what's the first thing they begin to do? They begin to make fig coverings for themselves. Joel said it a few weeks ago. It had to have been incredibly uncomfortable. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to make clothes out of leaves, um, but it can't feel very good, right? So they start covering themselves up because sin always tries to make us hide from God. This is what sin does. Sin comes into our lives and the first response is, how can I hide? So they begin to cover themselves. And this is what's fascinating to me is that man gets scared, but the scripture doesn't say man gets scared because of his sin. It says man got scared because of his nakedness. It wasn't the sin that caused man to fear. It was his nakedness. It was actually the fruit of his sin that caused him to be scared. It wasn't the sin. It was the shame and the guilt of how they had always been. So sin opened their eyes and caused them to turn their eyes on themselves. And they say, oh no, we're naked. And God responds, who told you that you're naked? essentially he's saying, you goobers. You've always been naked. Why are you freaking out now? You've always been naked. But this is what shame causes us to do shame opens our eyes, causes it to look upon ourselves and makes us run. It makes us hide. It makes us box people out. It makes us begin to compare ourselves and and say, you know what? I cannot be accepted before God because of my sin. So shame causes us to run. But this is the beautiful thing about the gospel the gospel does not just deal with our sin, it deals with our shame. It doesn't just, Jesus didn't just forgive our sin. He actually bore our shame and our guilt. So I was having a conversation with Joel just this morning and he was just reminding me of in, in the scriptures when Jesus hung on a tree, he was naked. He, he hung naked on the tree. And it wasn't a coincidence that he hung naked on the tree. What he was doing is he was receiving upon himself all the shame that had been on humanity for the past thousands of years. He actually bore our shame, so that we wouldn't have to walk in shame anymore. This is what the gospel does for us. So in verse 13, it says that no creature is hidden from his sight, but we're all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So I'd like to say this, that no matter how hard we try to hide or cover, we can't hide from God. Amen. We can't cover ourselves before God. He is the all-knowing, all-seeing God. But this is what I found to be true, that to be naked and exposed in the eyes of the God who is love is actually the safest place to live. And the opposite of that actually becomes true as well, that to try to hide and cover ourselves from the God who is love becomes the most dangerous place for us to live because we're actually hiding ourselves from the very one who has the power to heal. And so he sees us and we try to craft masks and he's like, what are you doing? I see you, but to be seen, even your dysfunction, even the messy parts of you, fully vulnerable in the eyes of God is actually the safest place for us to live. So when we hide, it actually keeps us from the very one who can heal us. And so what I've learned to be true about vulnerability, and I think this is a key for us in understanding that he sees everything, is a key to vulnerability is that we have to understand how God sees us, that God doesn't see us by our sin. The scripture says when he sees us, he sees us as pure, spotless, blameless, holy. It says that Jesus who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you think that God looks at you and sees your sin every time his eyes land on you, you won't get vulnerable. And that was, that was me. I wrestled for years and it was all rooted in my lack of understanding that I'm a son, that I was trying to perform in order to get God to love me, that if I would have just realized that I could just get real before God, then he could have touched some things a lot quicker. But in my stubbornness, in my trying to prove myself before God, he's like, you're in religion, you're in works, you're trying to clean yourself up. If you just expose your heart before me today, know that I accept you, I can heal you, I can make things Right. And so for us to understand or for us to really walk in vulnerability, we have to understand how God sees us. And so the safest place to be is to be naked and exposed in the eyes of the God of love. And so vulnerability on the right side of the cross actually becomes a safety. It becomes a strong tower, it becomes a place of refuge for us. And so he's the God who sees, number 1. I'm going to move quick. Number 2, he's the God who knows. Look at verse 14. This is amazing. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way was tempted as we are, yet without sin. It says we have a high priest who's not unable to sympathize with our weakness. The word sympathize actually is a poor translation in this passage, I think they're doing their best in Greek and they translate it to the word sympathize. I think a better word most scholars would believe is the word empathize. And the reality is, is the difference between to sympathize and to empathize. is sympathy looks at someone's situation and struggle and has compassion from afar. But empathy actually gets in their shoes. And this is the beauty of the gospel is that God doesn't just know us because he created us, but he knows us because he became like us. the scripture says, we don't have a high priest who doesn't understand But in every way that we were tempted, he was tempted as well, yet without sin. So he doesn't just save the world from afar, but he actually takes upon himself flesh and blood and dwells among humanity. What kind of God humbles himself to become a servant, to become a man and to live among broken humanity? I believe it's the kind of God who's looking at humanity and saying, I don't want you to think that I know you from a distance. I want you to to think that I know you because I've looked you in the eyes and said, I understand what it's like. I understand what it's like to be humanity. This is one of my favorite things about the gospel in the recent months, that Jesus knows what it's like to be human. Think about that, that he, he's with us in our humanity. So there's nothing we will ever face that he could say, yep, I don't understand. No, he says, I get it. I'm the God who knows. I'm the God who is with you. I am Emmanuel, God with us. So look at the end of verse 15. It says this. It says, in every respect, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So there's nothing that we'll ever do that he hasn't already been tempted with, yet he never sinned. This is the beauty part of it. So his victory becomes our victory. He sees us. He knows us. And then he defeats sin on our behalf so that his victory can become our victory so that we could rest not in our own perfection, but in the perfection that was handed and awarded to us at the cross freely. So point number three is this. He's the God who empowers. So in light of being naked and exposed and fully seen and fully known and fully spoken for and fully paid for, listen to this in verse 16. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's the invitation. Now that you know you can't hide, now that you know I see everything and I know even the darkest places of your heart and that I defeated sin, come boldly. Don't run. Don't be scared. Don't pretend like you could fix this thing on your own. Come boldly. Boldly, and I love that he says that. He 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 invites them to come with confidence. He says, I want you to approach the throne of grace with confidence. I think for many years I lived in this place of what I call false humility. What false humility is, is not a place of laying low before God, but it's a place of tearing yourself down before God. And I'll say this from from experience. God's rebuked me over this many times. That false humility is not from Him he's not trying to tear you down. He's not trying to tell you that you better revel in your sin and make sure that you feel it good enough before you come to me. No, he says, I want you to come to me with confidence. Understand that you can't hide from me. You can't do anything that I don't already know about. And so what we usually do is we find ourselves in a broken place and we come before God with our heads hanging low. And I'm not saying that God doesn't accept us in those times, but I do believe that he's more glorified in our coming before him with confidence than he is our begging him. Because he wants us to know, hey, when I mess up, I don't have to run from him. Like he's so good and he'll take me in my brokenness. And so he says, I see you and I know you. So come boldly to the throne of grace. And then it says this, it says, so that you would receive grace and mercy in your time of help. I wanna talk just for a second about grace and mercy. I feel like this is really important because we receive grace and mercy by approaching the throne of grace. Mercy and grace are two different things. Mercy is this, mercy is that you don't get what you do deserve, but grace is that you actually get what you don't deserve. So mercy is when God looks over something, but grace actually becomes the empowering presence of God in our lives. Steve Smother says this, he says, the grace of God is the empowering presence of God on your lives to become who he's called you to be and to do what he's called you to do. And so we come before God to receive mercy and grace. So the grace of God actually is really important when it comes to vulnerability. And this is what I've learned, that in our brokenness and in our sin, I think for so many years, I had this misconception about grace. And I thought that grace was just God looking over my sin. I thought grace was God just saying, Yeah, man, I forgive you, and turning and walking the other way. But what I realized about the grace of God is that it's actually, I don't have another word to use, but it's violent. It's intense. It's not him turning his eyes, it's him rolling up his sleeves. It's him saying, I love you so much that I'm not gonna let you stay broken. I love you so much and I'm not just gonna turn my head and look the other way. It says, I'm gonna get in this thing with you and we're gonna work this thing out. And I promise you, when I get done with you, you're gonna be different. That's what the grace of God does. The grace of God doesn't remove the standard. It actually empowers us to meet the standard. That's what the grace of God does. So how do we receive grace and mercy? It's by understanding that because he sees us and because he knows us, we could come before the throne of God with boldness to receive help in our time of need. Amen, you guys with me? Yeah. So the grace of God empowers us to be who he's called us to be. Now say this about grace too. This just kind of came into my head. I believe the grace of God, we, we see it only sometimes in the context of sin or our dysfunction, but we actually need the grace of God all over our lives because you can't do what he's called you to do without his grace. That's another piece that it's just kind of coming to me as I'm saying that sometimes performance will teach you to try to do what you feel called to do in your own works so that at the end of the day, you can look back and say, look what I did. But it's actually the grace of God that gets us to where we're going. And vulnerability actually frees us from performance so that way when we look back on our lives, we could say, "I, I don't know how I am where I am, but by the grace of God, as Paul would say. It's only the grace of God that's gotten me here. So the grace of God becomes the empowering presence for us to become who he's called us to be. And so we have to trust that he sees us and he knows us and his response is come, come to me, come to me. I'm not scared of your mess. I'm not scared of your brokenness. I'm not scared of what you're trying to hide from me. So realizing even though we try to hide, we can never be hidden from his eyes and knowing that that is actually the safest place exposed in the eyes of a loving, healing, empowering father. So I'd like to suggest to you tonight this, and I'm about to close, is that I believe that vulnerability is our greatest weapon. That vulnerability is our greatest weapon. And I could tell you from experience that it's so easy to become a master at hiding. And what I've learned is is that the places that I crafted masks and structures around in my heart, because I was so scared if people saw those places of my heart that they would reject me forever, it's those places that God began to put his finger on. And he says, I want to touch that. I want to put my hand on that. And so vulnerability becomes our greatest weapon. And it also is, I've said it a couple of times, it is our safest place to live. So on the right side of the cross, you don't have to be scared because he sees you, he knows everything. We can't hide from him and he still calls you beloved. He still calls you son, he still calls you daughter. He still says, come to me. So vulnerability on the right side of the cross becomes our safe place. So I'm gonna close by saying this band, if you guys wanna come up to the front. He's the God who sees, he's the God who knows and he's the God who empowers. And I felt this in my heart tonight. God reminded me of this, he spoke this to me. Um, to me specifically about me about two and a half years ago and it's actually become something that I live by today and he began to talk to me about how sometimes and I'm just gonna talk to us as a family and all of you who are watching by live stream that sometimes specifically in, in church culture like ours sometimes in like a more expressive charismatic culture vulnerability can be hard and the reason why is that we like to hide behind our radical expression of worship. God began to show me this. He began to show me that like, man, I, I love that you jump and I love that you sing and you dance and all those things in worship. But what I don't love is that while you're doing it, you still have walls around your heart inside. And what I learned is, is sometimes God is more pleased with our worship of authenticity than our worship of outward expression. Now I love to dance and worship, You see me, I always have my hands lifted. Like, I believe that it's just an outflow of what God has done. But what I believe is sometimes what we'll do in the presence of God is we begin to dictate what God can and can't touch. So we say, God, you can have this part of my heart, but this part over here, no one gets that part of my heart. God, I'm gonna show you how radical I am on the outside, but over here, these places that are deep and broken, I just don't really wanna go there. And I believe that it's the grace of God that would look you in the eyes and say, son, daughter, I want you to understand that you can't become who you're called to be unless you let me go there. I can remember as a kid riding my bicycle and I uh, actually, <laughs> I had one of these things. It's kind of hilarious. One of those like little powers, uh four wheelers, you know, the little electric four wheelers. And um, as kids, I yeah, parents, grace to you guys. We like never used stuff the way it was supposed to be used. So like anything that was supposed to be ridden on, you always like pushed it or anything that you're supposed to push like, or like dogs, you weren't, you know, we tried to ride them and stuff like that. And so I can remember as a kid and I had one of these electric four wheelers and I was pushing it and like running down the road, maybe the batteries are dead. And we're like running down this gravel road and all of a sudden it comes out from under me and I landed right on my chin and my chin was cut wide open. You can't see it now. I have a scar, but it's one reason I have a beard, so you can't see my scar there. But anyways, I cut my chin open, and I can remember running to my dad and holding it and saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. And he's like, let me see it. Let me touch it. I'm like, no, 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 you can't touch it. Like, I can't can't show you this, this. It hurts, like, you're gonna hurt it. And he made a statement that stuck with me for the rest of my life. He says, if you don't let me see it and you don't let me touch it, I can't fix it. If you don't expose it, I I can't fix it. And I think sometimes before God, we get this way that we try to cover things up and God's saying, if you would just let me touch it, I can make it all better. I can bring healing to these places of your heart if you just get real with me. And so I, I believe that sometimes God wants to change us at a deeper level than just our lingo, just our outward expression, but he is the God who transforms everything. He transforms everything, your character, your past, your scorecard, what people think about you, the thoughts in your head that you maybe messed up so big that you could never get back to where. He transforms it all. That's what he does. So I want you to stand with me tonight. And we're going to worship. I just I believe this tonight that God is actually calling us just to a deeper level of vulnerability and maybe for most of us in the room it's not some crazy big sin it's not anything like that but it's just saying God here's my heart and I trust you with all of it and I I choose to say to you tonight that there's nothing hidden here And I just really sense tonight that there may be someone that's watching on the live stream or that's in the room tonight that maybe you're saying, man, there's these places in my heart that I just like need to get real with and you just need to get real with God there. And I want to, I want to tell you this, that I could promise you, I could promise you that he's so safe, he is so safe, he is so good that he cares about what you're going through. If it's affecting you, it's affecting him. And so I want to challenge us tonight to do this, to let him see the parts of you that you're scared to show. Maybe for some of us, it looks like letting some people into some parts of our hearts that we're scared to show. And trust that his transforming grace will transform everything. So let's pray together, and then we're going to worship. God, I thank you that you're the God that sees. You're the God that knows and you're the God that empowers us, Lord, that you see everything and you're not scared. You're not scared. of God, we're in covenant with you. You made a choice 2,000 years ago to forgive our sins, past, future, and present. God, you made a choice 2,000 years ago to establish a covenant with the people in this room that would say, I choose to no longer call you by your sin. So come boldly. And God, I ask that you would give us a grace to be the most vulnerable people on earth that the church would not be a place where we feel like we have to be perfect, but we would be a place of real, radical transformation because we chose to get real with you. And so God, I just ask that you would release a grace for vulnerability. You would release a grace for us to take off the mask, every crutch that we've built in our own strength. Lord, we say you take it away from us. We want to be naked and exposed in the eyes of God, realizing that you see, you know, and you love us, God. So we say tonight, nothing hidden nothing hidden from your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just worship tonight.